Would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. In verses 1 through 6 last week, we saw that the Lord Jesus is comforting his loyal 11 disciples that remain. Judas is left. He's comforting them because they've just heard the worst news ever. He's leaving. That's not so bad. Maybe we can go with him. The worst news is he's leaving and they can't go with him. He's going to a cross to prepare a place for us. That place is in the Father's house in heaven. And we have to be cleansed before we can enter into <clears throat> the Father's house in heaven. And he promised them that he will come again and receive them to himself. That then where he is, they will be also. Then they'll be with him and then. So in effect, what the Lord Jesus has told them is, you can't go with me now. But later. Later. Then I'll take you with me. And of course they don't understand any of this. All they know is. And all they've heard is. I'm going away and you can't come. So when Jesus says to them. <coughs> you know the way where I'm going. Thomas blurts out in exasperation. We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way that you're going? And in verse 6, the Lord Jesus gives us those wonderful words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I myself, am the way to my Father's house. So now tonight we begin with verse 7. And we're going to read down through verse 12. If you have come to know me, you will, you will know my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, <coughs> Have I been with you all so long, and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak for myself, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, Believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. It's obvious we jump into the deep end of the pool tonight. And as I mentioned to Matt and Ashley while we were setting up, I'm going to be teaching tonight things that are deeper than what I can understand. There's one particular aspect of what Jesus says tonight that all I can do is make an, <coughs> an effort to make it somewhat clear. But it's going to be an 
utterly inadequate effort to make it clear. But we'll get to that in a minute. In verse 7 he says, If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. What he's doing is he's explaining what he said in verse 6. What's implied is, You, if you had known me the way that you should have known me by now. If you had listened to me the way you should have listened to me by now. Then you'll know the Father also. Especially when you consider what he said in chapter 8 verse 58. When he said that before Abraham was, I am which startled everybody. And then in chapter 10, verse 30, when he said, I and the Father are one, and that just seems to have gone over their head. So, if you had known those things, if you had listened to those things, if you had truly paid attention to my teaching and what I've done, then you'll know why I and I alone am the only way to the Father. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. <laughs> know the Father? We've seen the Father? <laughs> now they're exasperated again. When have we seen the Father? When have we known the Father? And notice that's what Philip said to him in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Now Philip is speaking for the whole group when he says that. In other words, he's implying, <coughs> you say we've seen the Father. But all we've seen is you. And you can imagine how he come to that conclusion. And then look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all so long and you have not come to know me, Philip? You have not come to know me, Philip? You ask me to show you the Father and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to me, show us the Father? And that must have blown all their fuses. Uh, that's way over the top. These are devout Jewish men. The one thing they know beyond a doubt is God is one. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. They've never been prepared for what Jesus says here. Again, they haven't listened carefully when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews in the temple took up stones to stone him because they listened carefully to what he had to say. And they just never even asked him to explain it when he said, I and the Father are one. I don't know why they missed all these things. Maybe it's because they're so preoccupied with the kingdom about to arrive and their places in the kingdom, their places of honor in the kingdom. But when Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father, 
that blew, that blew all their circuits. They have absolutely no category for this. They have no way of understanding this. This is contrary to everything they believed in the synagogue and in the temple as good, devout Jewish men. So, they're stunned. Now, do you realize what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here? We mentioned this last week, briefly. Chapters 13 through chapter 18 all cover one approximately 20-hour period in the Lord Jesus' life. And he's going to devote chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and part of chapter 17 in teaching them the theology of the Trinity. He is about to be crucified within 12 hours He's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, and then he's going to be crucified within about 18 hours. He doesn't have much time left. These guys are as dense as they were when he first started teaching them. They've learned a lot, but they haven't listened to very much. So much of it's gone in one ear and out the other ear. I mean, when he tells them, we're going up to Jerusalem... And I'm going to be arrested and tried and mocked and condemned and crucified. And the very next thing that comes out of their mouth is who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. They're not paying attention. He chose them. Knowing what they are and who they are. He's not surprised by this. So he takes these last few precious hours <clears throat> where when they have been sitting around the Lord's table in other words this is Passover meal but now it's the Lord's Supper and they've been sitting there full of joy full of anticipation we don't know when you're going to get around to going into the temple and going into Fortress Antonia and proclaiming yourself as king but we know it's going to happen any day now I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody welcomed you right into Jerusalem. We know you're the Messiah. We know you're the Son of God. This is great. One of the, sometime soon, maybe tomorrow, maybe after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days from now, I'm going to get to be the Prime Minister. And he's going to get to be the Secretary of State. And we're going to sit on 12 thrones, well, 11 thrones now. We're going to sit on 11 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. They haven't heard what the Lord Jesus had to say. And with only a few hours left before he's going to be killed, before he's going to sacrifice himself for them, he takes those precious few hours and he teaches them about himself, his relation to the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's relationship to him, the Holy Spirit's relationship to the Father. He's teaching them things they're not ready for. Things that run in their thinking contrary to what they have always assumed about God. It's, it's amazing that he does this. He doesn't give them final marching orders. All he says is, I'm going away, you can't come. 
and he who has seen me has seen the Father. So you can understand, they're overwhelmed. Uh, all they have, and we have to remember, this is before Pentecost. They don't have the indwelling of the Spirit. All they have is their minds, their limited minds, their merely human minds, to try to comprehend what the Lord Jesus is saying. But Pentecost is coming, and all of this will be plain to them then. Now, before we move on, please note this. Jesus does not say, I am the Father. We have to make that plain. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, Jesus explains this. Now, he's understanding that they're not understanding. He can see it in their faces. Maybe the open mouths. You said, what? Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak for myself, but the Father abiding in me does his works. (coughs) I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Don't you believe that? Now, if they were at a Bible conference with a bunch of preachers, and somebody asked that question to the Bible conference, do you believe so-and-so? Or as Don Carson said one time, this is the ultimate, I, I can't remember all he said, but this is the final eschatological expression of realized eschatology. And you know what we did? We all sat there and went, yeah. Had no clue. We had no clue. And, and everybody just broke out laughing. Because, you know, Dr. Carson, you know we have no clue what you just said. And so please explain that to us. These men have no clue. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And they could understand that. I mean, obviously, Jesus is doing things that only God can do. And we have some comprehension of what it means for the Father to be in him. To indwell him. Because from our side, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have some comprehension of spiritual indwelling. Because the Spirit of God indwells us. But remember, he's not come yet. And when Jesus says... Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? They could have grasped, maybe, that the Father is in him. We have heard what you said. We have seen what you've done. These are things that only God can do. So, yes, the Father is in you. But what do you mean by, I am in the Father? And this is, as I warned you, this is where I dive into a place that I'm inadequate to try to explain what's going on here is Jesus is describing the mutual indwelling between him and the father remember that before the son of God is incarnated as the Lord Jesus Christ 
He's a spirit. Eternally a spirit. Like the Father is spirit. Eternally spirit. From all of eternity, the Father and the Son mutually indwell one another. They are of the same essence. This is horrible, but they're of the same God's stuff. Spirit doesn't have stuff, but they are of the same essence. The Father is very God. The Son is very God. And they indwell one another spiritually. Same mind, same heart, same purpose, same everything. They share it all together. Have you ever seen the Trinity Knot? Uh, I forget what the... I thought it was called a trifecta. I found out last night on Google it's not a trifecta. Trifecta is something else entirely, but we're not going there. But the Trinity Knot, it's almost like three fish-shaped lozenges that overlap in sort of a triangular form. And in the middle, all three are sharing the same space. That's what the Lord Jesus, he's not talking about Trinity not. He's not even talking about Trinity. He's just talking about him and the Father at this point. We share the same space. Now, can you understand what a hard time they're having grasping this? I mean, they know he's the Son of God. They know he's the Messiah. They've seen, they've heard with their own ears twice. God the Father in an audible voice say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we, we, they know he's not lying. But then he says, I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. And they have an information overload. We have an information overload. Trying to understand the mutual indwelling of the Father and Son. We have the Holy Spirit who recorded this book and who lives inside of us to interpret this book for us. We have 2,000 years of brilliant Bible scholars and theologians to explain things to us. And we still don't comprehend it. This is the heart of God. This is the essence of God. And at least this poor, fallen, depraved creature can by no means look into the very essence and the deep things of God and understand these relationships. So Jesus is speaking to Harry. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now what they're thinking here is we don't know if we believe that or not. You're, you're disappointing us tonight. Now they never say that. You're supposed to set up the kingdom. And you're going away? And worse, we can't go with you? I mean, if you're going to the Gentiles, at least let us go and be with you. You're everything to us. And they're, again, like we said last week, their world is starting to come apart around them. 
everything they'd hoped for, everything they'd anticipated. I mean, in the current Jewish theology, Messiah, when he's enthroned, lives forever. He's immortal. He never leaves us. And Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is going away. Circuits are burning out. This just isn't coming together. But the Lord Jesus is looking at them and telling them this and seeing in their eyes their difficulty and trying to grasp what he's saying. But he's revealing himself to them. I'm not just the Son of God. I'm not just the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. I am the, the, uh, the Son of God. But he's leading them someplace that they're not quite ready to go yet. Not to Pentecost. He's taking them to the place where he says, I am God the Son. One with Yahweh the Father. One with the Holy Spirit. I am God the Son. I share the same space, the same essence with the God of Israel. And ultimately, they're going to come to the conclusion He is the God of Israel incarnate. But we have to wait until after Pentecost for that to begin to sink into their minds. And it's, it's almost interesting when he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Because if they were honest, they would have to say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Much less do I believe it. Then he says, the words that I say to you, verse 10, I do not speak for myself. Now he's already told them this before. In chapter 6, and I think it's in chapter 8. I'm not speaking out of myself. These, are, these words that I'm saying about myself and about the Father. They don't come from me. It's, it's not just my ideas. These are coming from the Father himself as well. And he says it again to them. The words that I say to you, I do not speak from myself alone. But the Father abiding in me, the Father dwelling in me, does his works. Hmm. When I'm teaching you, when I'm explaining things to you, Jesus says, that's the Father teaching through me. When you hear what I'm teaching you, when you take in my instructions about who I am, what I'm doing, who the Father is, what he's doing, the Father uses those words and works in you. Notice he says, it's my words, but the Father's works. The Father works in you. He works faith in me, in you. Does that, was that clear or did I fuzz that up? He is working in you, faith in me, when you hear me. When you pay attention to what I'm telling you about myself and about the Father. You hear the hint of Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. Yeah. So the Lord Jesus says, in verse 11, looking on these disappointed, shocked, 
exasperated, confused, overwhelmed, 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He doesn't ask him again, do you believe? He just says, believe me. Believe me. I know this is more than you can comprehend. I know this is more than you can take in. I know that you trust me explicitly. I know that you believe everything I teach you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So just take this by faith. Believe. Trust that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Folks, we're in the same boat. When we start messing around and fiddling around and we're like with the doctrine of the Trinity, we're like little children trying to do Matt's work there in the garage. We go in there and we, we find tools. We don't even know what the tools do. And we're in there and we, we think we're going to repair this engine or we're going to, we're going to uh, finish off this, this car body or something like that. We get in there and it doesn't take long before we realize we're in way over our heads. The Trinity? God the Father is God. No problem. God the Holy Spirit is God. Mm, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived 33 years on the face of the earth as a man and died, is God. What? And they're not three gods. No, no. One God. They're all sharing the same eternal, self-existent nature. So Jesus looks at them and he looks at us and he says, it's more than you can comprehend. But you believe me. We believe him. Because the Holy Spirit has come to us and compels us to believe him. He's given us a new nature. He's given us a new mind. He's given us a new heart. And when we read what Jesus says, we just believe it. Oftentimes we don't understand it. But we believe it. He speaks to them. He speaks to us. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. I know this is too much for you now. I know you're overwhelmed now. I know that there's an information overload. I know that you're completely off balance. And I'm not letting you get your feet back under you again. And I give you more. And I give you more. And, and you're just falling back further and further. But if you can't believe what I'm telling you. Believe for the work's sake. I mean, I'm doing the things that only God can do. I create wine out of water. Only God creates. I take a, a lunch <coughs> twice, a small lunch twice, and feed 5,000 men plus women and children once, and 4,000 men plus women and children once, just like Yahweh took the widow of Zarephath's little handful of meal and a little bottle of oil and fed her and her son and Elijah off of that one little handful of meal, that one little bottle of oil until the famine passed by. 
Yahweh created the food out of that. Every day, every meal, he created more of it out of that. That's what I did. That's what Yahweh does. That's what I did. Only God can raise the dead. I raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. I raised the little girl who was 12 years old from the dead. And in both of those cases, somebody could say, well, maybe they really weren't dead. Maybe they were in a coma and you just woke them up. Okay. I raised a man back to life who had been dead four days. Yeah. Only God can do that. If you're having trouble believing what I'm telling you, believe me for the work's sake. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. We read that and we immediately think of the apostles. We apply this to the apostles. The works that I do, he who believes in me, is going to do the same works. Well, yeah, they've already been doing that. Jesus casts out demons, he gives them authority to cast out demons. Jesus heals the sick, he gives them authority to heal the sick. Jesus preaches the gospel with clarity and with directness, and he gives them the authority to preach the gospel, that he is the Son of God, and that faith in him saves from the wrath of God and reconciles to God. Yeah. He who believes in me, the works that I do, the same works he will do. And we immediately think of the apostles, because they've been doing that already. He doesn't say, you are loving who believe in me. He who believes in me. What he's talking about is something that applies to every Christian. To everyone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord. He says the works that I do. You will do. Now he says something else. That restricts the definition of what these works are. And greater works than these he will do. So we think about what did Jesus do? And we think about his miraculous works. Those things we talked about before. Casting out demons, raising the dead, healing. But that's not what he's talking about here. Can't be. How can you do anything greater than Jesus' miraculous works? The apostles in the book of Acts never do anything greater than what the Lord Jesus Christ did. They do the same things the Lord Jesus Christ did, but never anything greater. So what does he mean? Glad you asked. The word greater there is megas. And my good old Arnton Gingrich and Bauer, Greek New Testament lexicon, came to my rescue today. All of the, the commentaries that I turned to were really good at dancing around this. So I need to go back to the Greek. I need to go back and see what does this word mean and how is it used. 
It's megas or, or myzone actually is uh, compared to, to megas. Megas means greater. But the first meaning in Art and Gingrich, it's a book about this thick and about this size. It's almost worn out. One of these days I'll have to buy another one because it, I lean on it so heavily. The first meaning under megas is broad in expanse, spatially expanding. That solved it. What else did the Lord Jesus do besides miracles? He preached the kingdom of God. He preached salvation through faith in him. And he says, the works that I'm going to do, you're going to do. And you're going to, or he that believes in me, the works that I do. Certainly not miraculous sign works. You can't do greater sign works than what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. But he who believes in him, the Christians who have believed in him from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, have gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. Spatially expanded. Jesus never left Palestine while he was on earth. Oh, except he did go around to some of the borderlands on the, on the fringe of Palestine, like up around Caesarea Philippi. He did all of his ministry in that one small area. Jesus never saw, or he preached maybe ten thousands of people <clears throat> in his life. He would preach to thousands at a time, but maybe tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand people in his life. When he went to the cross, how many faithful disciples were with him? How many converts were with him? His mother and a couple of other women and John. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about later in this, in this chapter, comes. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from the Father. The Holy Spirit comes on these cowering 120 in the upper room. Obedient 120, because he told them to stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter goes out with the other ten. And two thousand are converted. Jesus never saw two thousand people converted in the best day of his life. Greater works. And what happens? Peter goes into Turkey. Peter goes to Babylon, you know, in Persia. Paul goes all the way to Spain. The gospel is spread throughout the whole world. Within the first century, there's evidence that the gospel had gone to China in the first century. You're going to go with the gospel greater places than I've ever been. He who believes in me, the works I do, preaching the gospel of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, these works you'll do. And we're doing it. Uh, this morning, we can't get into it now, but Pastor Eric was talking about 
how the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his word, his promise, out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, has spread throughout the world. That's what he promised here. You're not going to do more spectacular things than I've done. You're just going to preach this good news and you're going to see, you're going to testify to people at work and then you're going to be transferred somewhere else and you'll testify to people at that work. You'll invite neighbors over to get to know the neighbors, to have a meal together and you're going to eventually bring up about the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going into places the Lord Jesus Christ never went. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ never came to Richmond County, North Carolina. And here we are. And in the 2,000 years since he ascended back into heaven, he has filled the world with his gospel through those who believe in him. And that's where we stop tonight. They ask, Philip asked, show us the Father. And he gets a load more than he ever anticipated. I'll show you the Father. You're looking at him when you look at me. Yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to open up this chapter to us. Bit by bit by bit. Section by section. And in the last few precious hours of his earthly life, he's going to spend it teaching his people about his relationship to God the Father and to God the Holy Spirit. Telling them that he's the one who's going to send the Holy Spirit. Who can send the Holy Spirit but God alone? And as I said a couple weeks ago, there may be a time when we say, Everything we're looking at here in the Gospel of John, what's the application to me? I mean, it's not like an epistle that says, do this, do this, do this, and do this. Please God by doing this, doing this. John just keeps talking about Jesus and who he is. And that's what we're going to continue to do throughout this Gospel. It's going to be all about Jesus. And who he is and what he's done so that we might believe in him. And through faith in him, be united to him. When he says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, that's coming back. Only it's not going to be believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's going to believe that I am in you and you are in me. So we'll pick this up later. Stand with me, please. <clears throat> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we're dismissed.